Good morning, OBC family. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, that's page 818 in the Pew Bibles, page 818 in the Pew Bibles. As is always the case, if you do not have a Bible at home in which you can read for yourself, uh, take that one as a gift from us to you. Uh, We would want nothing more than for you to be able to, on your own, read God's Word and study God's Word to know Him more. I'd like to start off our time this morning with a question. Uh, When was the last time that you took a practice test? A test that doesn't count against you, uh, but instead prepares you for the real test. Uh, Growing up, I had several teachers who would use this method in hopes of helping their students do well on the test when the time arrived. Now, it's debatable how well this actually helped me as a student, uh, but one thing that brought immediate relief is that after we took this practice test, we were given the answer key. Uh, Right away, we got to grade ourselves, clearly seeing what we understood and what we didn't. In many ways, our text this morning is a practice test. Uh, It's a test for us, complete with an answer key. Jesus, the teacher, is giving a test to the crowd. But for his disciples, he not only gave the answers to this test, uh, but the purpose of the test itself. Our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. But before I read it, a little bit more context. Uh, In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is presented as the continuation and fulfillment of the Old Testament storyline. The long-awaited Messiah from the line of David who brought about the kingdom of God here on earth, uh, fulfilling God's promise of true peace and deliverance for both Jew and Gentile. The book itself is uh, very intentional in its structure, the book of Matthew, that is. Uh, The introduction and conclusion serve as bookends to five sections in between. And each section highlights Jesus as the new authoritative covenant teacher. Each section begins with Jesus' actions and ends with Jesus' teaching. Chapter 13, which we're in today, is the conclusion of the third section of the book of Matthew. And this entire chapter is made up of parables, which in this case serve as the teaching following Jesus' actions in verses 11, or excuse me, chapters 11 and 12. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's getting mixed reviews, right? Some believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Others are confused and don't really know what to do with him. And then others, the Pharisees, the religious elite, they just outright reject him. But Jesus, he he doesn't sidestep these responses. As a matter of fact, he actually focuses on them through the parable in our text today. A parable, I've said it a few times, let me define it. A parable briefly can be defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In the Gospels, these were practical stories that illustrated spiritual truths. And all of the parables in chapter 13, they're drawing out a particular truth specifically about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. So with that context, our passage for this morning, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out out of the house and sat beside the sea. And the great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. 
Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the one who was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Our main idea for today, what I hope you'll see as we walk through our pages, our passage this morning, is that Jesus, in his infinite and sovereign wisdom, used parables to conceal the kingdom of heaven from some and reveal the kingdom of heaven to others. Our main idea for today is this, that Jesus, in his infinite and sovereign wisdom, used parables to conceal the kingdom of heaven from some and reveal the kingdom of heaven to others. We see this in both the parable itself as well as Jesus' explanation of parables in general. Our text today is Jesus, the teacher, uh, giving us a problem to solve. And for his disciples, he not only gives the key to solving problems like it, but gives the answer to this problem in particular. Uh, so for both Jesus, uh, his original disciples, and for us, these parables need to be understood. Uh, they need to be believed so that we might follow Jesus more faithfully and live for his kingdom. So right away in our text, in verses 1 and 2, Matthew sets the scene for us. Uh, Jesus is teaching beside the sea uh, to a crowd. The crowd is so big that he decides to teach from a boat. The text tells us that as he sat and preached, the crowd stood and listened. I wonder if we should do that this morning. I should sit down. You guys stand up. 
What do you guys think? I don't know how that would go over. Uh, now, instead of uh, approaching this text chronologically, uh, we're going to take advantage of the fact that Jesus has given us the key to understanding how parables work there in the middle of the passage, verses 10 to 17. So a little different, but we're actually going to start uh, right there in, 10, in verses 10 to 17 and dive in and then look at the later explanation and the parable itself. So beginning with point number one, the key, verses 10 to 17, the purpose of the parable. Uh, we learn from Mark's account of this parable that Jesus uh, spoke to a crowd, and when he was alone, the disciples, they questioned him. Uh, they want to know, Jesus, if this message of the kingdom is so important, uh, then, then why the coded language? Uh, why, why speak in parables? Uh, why not be really clear and just really spell it out? Matter of fact, you, you might be asking the same question this morning. Well, we'll, con we'll consider two categories of Jesus' answer. Uh, he, first, he points to God's sovereignty, uh, and second, he points to man's responsibility. Man's responsibility. So beginning with this idea of God's sovereignty, I think we see it in verses 11 and 12. I'll read verse 11 for us again. To you it has been given to know, or in other verses, other translations, to understand uh, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been been given. Uh, the kingdom of God, God's people in God's place, under God's rule and enjoying his blessing. The kingdom of God, God's people in God's place, under God's rule and enjoying his blessing. But we see clearly in this text that this kingdom has been given or delivered secretly, or in some translations as a mystery. Uh, this mystery was that the kingdom, it would begin small, uh, almost imperceptible. Uh, think seed, yeast, uh, pearl. Uh, Colossians 1, 26 and 27 speak to this. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery is that despite the sin of mankind, God is saving a people from every corner of the earth for his very own possession. And he would, and he would uh, do so by sending his son to die on the cross and raise from the dead on behalf of all who would believe. And to all who would believe, he would give his spirit, creating a new family, a new people of God. And now we, as God's people, invite others to come and behold this wondrous mystery. But the text makes clear this is a mystery given to some, but not all. According to Jesus, the secrets of the kingdom are not earned, they are not found, but they are, they are given. God alone is sovereign in salvation. Some understand the gospel and some do not. Any understanding, any belief or faith that we have is given to us by God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of grace, uh, a message of unmerited favor. It is a message uh, to undeserving rebels who are being ransomed out of their rebellion. If we are to respond to this good news, it is because the God of the Bible has given us the ability to do so. He has caused our dry bones to put on flesh. He has caused our hearts of stone to be turned into hearts of flesh. Friends, he has caused spiritually dead men and women to get up, to rise, and to respond to Jesus Christ. Uh, consider, maybe in, even in your own life, how many times you heard the gospel before you believed. What changed? I can tell you it wasn't the gospel. 
right? The Lord chose to do something in your heart at a certain time. Now consider why others don't respond to the gospel. Well, according to our text, at least at that moment when they heard the gospel, according to our passage, it has not been given to them to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. God acts first in salvation. And God, indeed, God must act first in salvation if our, spirit, if our sin has led to spiritual death. Jesus continues in verse 12. For to, those, for to the one who has, uh, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. For the one who has been given the gospel, this gospel knowledge, uh, we know that according to scripture and our experience that the Lord continues in his mercy and grace toward us, both in this life and the next. As time passes and we give ourselves to the means of grace that God has provided, we find ourselves growing in spiritual maturity. Uh, we receive a family in the local church in which we can grow with. And ultimately, we receive uh, eternity with the Lord. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Oh, friends, in Christ we are given more than we can ever ask or imagine. But for the one who has not been made known to understand the mystery of the gospel, friends, this life is as good as it gets for that person. You know, for anyone here this morning who is not trusting in Jesus for salvation, you need to know that while there is breath in your lungs, there is still hope. There is still hope. The first step in receiving this mystery, in receiving this gospel, is to turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus. Oh, friend, maybe today could be the day of salvation for you. If you want to know more about what it looks like to begin to walk with Jesus, come find me. I'd love to talk with you more about that. Any of the pastors standing at the doors on the way out, or maybe even talk to the person who brought you here this morning. Uh, we would want nothing more than for you to clearly understand what it means to follow Jesus. But after highlighting God's sovereign choice, uh, Jesus speaks to mankind's responsibility. The role that mankind has in either accepting or rejecting the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. To help us understand these verses clearly, uh, we're going to begin in verse 15, which is the middle of the passage of, of what's called a chiasm. A chiasm. Chiasms are just literary devices uh, used to create emphasis through repetition of similar ideas, but in reverse sequence. So you can almost think about it like a sandwich. You know, there's the bread, maybe some lettuce, some meat, and then you got maybe some more lettuce and some bread. It's, you start down one way, and then it kind of mirrors itself and goes back up the other way. So to start with verse 15, for this person's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Uh, verse 15 uh, is best understood as Jesus commenting on what was already true. Uh, the crowds had enough evidence that he was God. Uh, the whole Old Testament pointed to this very fact. Uh, simply put, at this point, uh, those with dull hearts and deaf ears simply did not want to be healed of their hard-heartedness, their, their mental blindness and willful disobedience. Uh, this parable was concealing the truth from those who just did not want to believe it. Uh, in verse 14, the beginning of Jesus quoting Isaiah, he said, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed, uh, you will indeed see but never perceive. Oh, friends, what a haunting prophecy 
toward those who heard Jesus' parables and rejected him. Uh, They heard the words of life coming from the one who was the way, the truth, and the life, yet they were unable to receive them in faith. You know, the Apostle Paul spoke to this rejection as well in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. What we as believers hold as of utmost importance, those who do not believe see as folly, as foolishness. So then in verses 13 to 15, what do we learn about man's responsibility in responding to Jesus' parable? Well, first, we see this inherent sinfulness. We have to start there, this inherent sinfulness. Uh, Parable or no parable, mankind, due to sin, is guilty before God. Uh, Interacting with Jesus or not, our very own lives testify against us. Uh, There was plenty of indicting evidence for those who stood in front of Jesus even before he ever opened his mouth. A guilt began not at what Jesus said in his parables, but at the rejection of who he is, God. Uh, second, we learn that sin makes us unable to understand, to, unable to hear and see the things of God. Uh, Jesus is drawing out that there, again, is a, a dullness, deafness, and blindness within mankind that hinders us from responding and receiving or, or understanding the secrets of the kingdom. Therefore, if anyone is to receive it, the way we talked about earlier, it must be given. And third, we learn uh, of Jesus' strange mercy. Jesus' strange mercy. We see in places like Romans 2 that God will not hold us responsible for what we do not know or understand, but instead for what we do know and understand. Follow me here. This could be a little tricky. So had Jesus uh, spoken plainly to those who ultimately would reject him, Uh, they would, in a sense, be doubly guilty, right? Jesus speaking in parables was both a judgment uh, and a mercy. A judgment in that concealing, the the concealing nature of parables was evidence of their rejection of the truth, but also mercy in that speaking in parables in a way uh, limited their guilt. It was a mercy towards those uh, who would ultimately, who ultimately would not, indeed uh, could not, respond in faith and repentance. In verses uh, 16 and 17, Jesus continues. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Uh, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. Here in the latter half of the chiasm, verse 16 pairs with verse 14. In verse 14, we saw the crowds, those who rejected Jesus, who would uh, never perceive and understand. And in verse 16, we have the opposite, right? The, pe- the disciples, those who did understand and those who did receive. But the disciples are blessed because God, in his mercy, has chosen to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That Christ Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah come to deliver his people. Not from Roman oppressors, but from spiritual oppressors. Sin, Satan, death, and hell. Uh, Verse 17 concludes this chiasm. Uh, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Uh, This summer we had the privilege of studying through two of the minor prophets of the Old Testament, the book of Nahum and Habakkuk. 
Uh, from both prophets, we saw this longing for justice against Israel's enemies. Uh, the longing it wasn't simply a relief from their present and physical enemies, but, but uh, the prophets looked forward to the day that God would fully and, and finally rescue his people from all injustice. Although they weren't able to put a name on it, uh, these prophets, were, they were looking, they were uh, hoping and anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, but it wasn't just the disciples who were blessed, right? We too are blessed. Uh, members of Oakhurst Baptist Church, we are blessed. We have the full counsel of God's word that not only points out our biggest problem, sin, but also presents our only solution, the life, death, and resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Oh, this is why we gather Sunday after Sunday, uh, because we have been given something of utmost value and importance. Saints never take for granted the privilege of knowing the risen and reigning Jesus Christ. This brings us to point number two, the parable and its meaning. The parable and its meaning. So verses three to nine and verses 18 to 23. So for this portion of the passage, we're going to match the parable itself with the explanation that Jesus gives us. So verse by verse. So we're matching verses 4 and 19, verses 5 and 6, and verses 20 and 21, verses 7 and 22, and then verses 8 and 23. So before we go any further, I just want to be very clear on definitions, some terms that will make our time walking through these verses very clear. The sower that we're about to see is Jesus. The seed is the message of salvation, the gospel. The soil is the human heart, the core of our being, the place of decision. So those are our terms, right? The soil, the seed, the gospel, the human heart. In most of our Bibles, the, this parable is entitled, it's titled the parable of the sower. But, but I think a more fitting title for our, our passage today would actually be the parable of the four soils. Uh, it's the heart's or the soil's response that changes, not the seed or the sower. So with that said, our first soil in verse 4, Jesus starts out, And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. In verse 19, Jesus explains this verse to the disciples. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Uh, so in this first scenario, the seed doesn't even make it into the soil. Instead, it falls along a path. Uh, the significance of this path is that it was a portion of the ground that was hardened. It was, it was packed down from people walking on it over the course of a long time. It would be so dense, so hard, that a seed would never be able to penetrate uh, the surface. So instead, the seed sits on top. It, it never sinks in. This first soil, or, or heart response, is that of a hard heart. A hard heart. Uh, this soil is representative of the one who hears the words of the kingdom, but they reject it. The gospel never penetrates, and Jesus tells us uh, that instead, the evil one, Satan, depicted by the birds, it comes and snatches it away. Friends, we have a real enemy in Satan. In this first soil, Jesus is making us aware of the evil one who, who intercepts any potential progress. So my question for you is this. As you navigate the Christian life, how aware are you of Satan's devices? Are you aware of his schemes to deceive and destroy? Uh, we see here he comes specifically to steal the word. Uh, why is Satan after the word? 
Well, because salvation begins with the word. The gospel seed is saving news, and Satan wants nothing more than for our heart, the hearts of mankind to, to never hear it. But friends, this is in part why this church supports missionaries, people who go to foreign lands where people have never heard of Jesus. Uh, Satan would want nothing more than for those people to be born, uh, to live, and to die, and spend eternity separated from God after never having heard the gospel. So pray for our missionaries as they seek to make known the gospel in places that we will more than likely never go. Next, uh, we see this idea of salvation. In addition to this external enemy, there is also an internal enemy, uh, a hard heart. Hebrews 3, 7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. Uh, this hardening can look like hostility towards God and the gospel, but it can also look like indifference towards the things of God. Uh, regardless of the form that it takes, there is a, a resistance and the gospel never penetrates. Uh, this hardened heart also has implication on our evangelism. Uh, we can't absolutely know uh, who possesses which soil. This is only God knows that fully and finally. But if there is an enemy that is actively trying to steal the seed of the gospel, well, then we must never cease sowing. He may steal the first seed, but that shouldn't stop us from sowing another one. Friends, the commission is there. Go, therefore, and make disciples. This brings us to our second soil, verses 5 and 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And then in verses 20 and 21, Jesus gives us an explanation. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The real uh, danger in these verses lies in the word immediately. Yes, the seed is in soil, but it's shallow soil. In the Christian life, most often, healthy growth is slow growth. In the Christian life, most often, healthy growth is slow growth. I heard a statistic that said that if we all continue to grow like we did our first six months of life, we'd be over 20 feet tall as an adult. Infants, as we all know, there's a lot of them around here, they grow crazy fast and at a rate that would be unhealthy long term, right? Likewise, in our spiritual lives, we look for slow and steady, healthy growth in ourselves and in the lives of others. All the gardeners in the room know deep roots make for a mature plant that can sustain life and withstand unpredictable elements. Jesus interprets this soil as being the heart of the one who hears the gospel message, immediately receives it with joy. They're excited, right? They even show some promising signs. They endure for a while. But because there is no root enabling it to grow and develop, the moment that any tribulation, any hardship, any persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, this soil can be summarized as the superficial heart the superficial heart. There was no substance to their profession of faith. The moment this person has to own their faith, to live differently in the world, the way that Christ calls his followers to do, they abandon the faith. 
You know, one sad trend that has marked Christianity at different points in history is something called easy believism. This idea that as long as you pray a prayer, you're good to go, you're saved. It's something like a, a get out of jail, or should I say get out of hell free card. Fast forward a few years and it's clear that that heart never received the gospel message. It never submitted to the lordship of Christ. It doesn't take walking with the Lord very long to see this happen. I was a freshman uh, when me and some of my college teammates came to faith, or at least professed faith in Jesus. And before we graduated, so not even four years later, some were far from the Lord, had no desire to pursue the things of Jesus. Uh, with no real root, there is no real you know, years later, working in uh, campus ministry at Howard University, I remember telling my pastor uh, about the first student to profess faith in Jesus at Howard. I was so excited, y'all. He smiled as I was talking to him, and he nodded as I recounted to him how it all happened. And when I was done telling this story, he responded to me in his burly voice, time will tell. Y'all, I, uh, I was annoyed. I was a little confused as to his response after all my excitement about... Yes, you know, this guy came to faith in Jesus. But what he went on to explain to me was that at that time, uh, it would take time to see if his profession of faith was genuine. Uh, with time, his faith will be tested and his roots will grow. The lesson I learned that day and the lesson that I think we learned here in verses 20 and 21 is that it takes time for true salvation to be demonstrated. James 1, 3, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The third soil that we encounter is in verses 7 and 22. So beginning with verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then Jesus exclaims in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. The added variable in this soil are thorns. You know, I'm, uh, I'm not a botanist or anything, but I am aware that there are certain plants that can't be planted near other plants for this very reason. Uh, one will compete with the other. Uh, one will grow and one will die. And this is the case here in verse 7. The seed grows, but only to be choked out by the thorns. Like the first two soils, Jesus informs us that this heart also hears the word. The gospel is shared. But something else is growing there, right? the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. The third soil is the divided heart, the divided heart. And the primary reason for this division is the world. The primary enemies of the Christian, you've probably heard this before, the world, the flesh, and the devil. As Satan, as we've covered, is trying to destroy God's kingdom. Our flesh, as we see time and time again, is ruined by sin. And the world around us is also impacted by sin and at odds with God. Uh, but look closely at what Jesus calls these thorns. It's not just the world, but the cares of the world. And it's not just riches, but the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, what Jesus is highlighting here for us is commitment. Uh, this heart is more committed and consumed by the things of this world and the devotion to wealth than it is to Jesus. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. As those who live in a generally prosperous society, we must be careful. 
thorns. Do not choke out plants quickly. Uh, this enemy is subtle. This enemy is slow and gradual and almost unknowing. A bunch of small decisions that result in major shifts. If you're wondering if this is happening in your life, I would encourage you to look at three areas. Uh, consider your time, your talents, and your treasures. Uh, how and where are you spending most of your time? Uh, how and for whom are you using your gifts, your, your talents, the things the Lord has blessed you with? And third, your treasures. In other words, your, your money. Uh, when you look at your bank statements, uh, are you spending your money in a way that brings honor to the Lord? Church family, let nothing divide our heart's affections toward God. The fourth and final soil is described in verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then Jesus unpacks it in verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. At last, the, the seed that fell on good soil, on, on fertile soil, and we know this because of what it produced, right? Grain, 30, 60, and 100 fold. We see a direct correlation here between good soil and good fruit. Uh, like the rest of the seeds, this person hears the word. The difference here, though, is understanding. And this is not merely an, an intellectual assent. There is a spiritual change that takes place. The old is gone, the, the new has come. This person is now a new creation. Uh, Jesus calls this bearing or yielding fruit. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives us a list, which we read earlier in Galatians 5. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Oakhurst Baptist Church, uh, at eight months of being one of your pastors, I love that I have already seen so many evidences of the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. A genuine love for one another that takes the form of praying for and serving one another. A genuine joy for one another that looks like rejoicing with others over their blessings, maybe even when you wish and desire that same blessing but haven't received it. A genuine self-control as many of you seek to fight sin and pursue the things of God, pursuing holiness. I'm encouraged by the good soil that I see in the life of this church. You know, all this talk of, of seeds and sowing, as Dave mentioned earlier, on Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday coming up, six years ago, the Lord saw fit to replant Oakhurst Baptist Church. Right? Praise God for his faithfulness toward this church. May he continue to produce fruit in the life of OBC for years and years to come. Next, notice how Jesus ends this parable. Uh, he gives us varying degrees of fruit that different seeds produce. 30, 60, and 100-fold. I wonder, I wonder if you're thinking, why does Jesus include these numbers, these amounts? I think at least one reason is to highlight the fact that Christians produce different amounts of fruit. So before we go calculating or comparing the fruit in our lives and finding that either a comfort or a concern, whatever number we come up with, remember, our job is not fruitfulness. Our job is faithfulness. Producing 30, 60, or 100-fold, yeah, that, that's up to God. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, and who gave the growth? God. So, 
Jesus concludes his parable to the crowds in verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, pay close attention. Listen up. Don't let this go in one ear and out of another. Don't just hear him, but listen. Uh, the word, the world, excuse me, has a stereotype, right? That, that teenagers only ever hear their parents. They don't actually listen to their parents. I want to talk to the kids and the teenagers in the room for a moment. When your parents are talking to you, you should always listen. But I will say, when your parents are talking to you about Jesus, I would encourage you to listen very, very carefully. Uh, take what they're saying. Consider it. Uh, meditate on it. Think about it. Wrestle with it. Here we go. A great question for the teenagers and the, parents in the, or the kids in the room to talk with your parents about today after the sermon would be, ask your parents, what does the soil of your heart look like right now? What does the soil of your heart look like right now? And listen to what your parents have to say. Members of Oakhurst Baptist Church, I pray that every Sunday uh, when you sit under God's word, it wouldn't simply be hearing words from a preacher, uh, but actively listening, considering what the Spirit is saying to you through his living and active word. Just to be real practical, one basic step in doing that is go to sleep on Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday night at a decent hour. Right, just being real practical, go to sleep so that you can wake up refreshed, ready to hear God's word on Sunday morning. That's no shade, just a, a basic application. Uh, to end our time, four reminders about the parable of the four soils. So four reminders. And to help us remember these things, I'm going to format these in a, in a countdown. So starting with four. Remember, all four soils hear the word. All four soils hear the word. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. To believe the gospel is more than hearing, oh, but it's not less. What Christ has commanded of us is to sow, right, to share the gospel with those who are not trusting in Christ and then to leave that heart work to him. So who will you share the gospel with this week or this month? Just to speak to the parents in the room for a moment, do you realize that you have a ready-made mission field around you and your children? What a privilege, what a joy to be able to sow seeds of the gospel with our little ones all around us. Number three, three of the seeds actually grow. Three of the seeds actually grow. The second seed springs up immediately. The third seed grows enough to eventually be choked. And the fourth seed actually bears fruit. As we look to share the gospel and make disciples, we don't need to be suspicious of new growth, but we should be sober-minded of new growth. Remember that what seems like fruit at first glance may not be fruit that lasts. Number two, for two of the soils, the world plays a significant role in the seeds dying. Uh, brothers and sisters, this world is not our home. We are called to be in this world, but not of this world. Uh, this was the issue in the Old Testament, and this is the issue that every Christian battles with today. Uh, don't forget this. Our treasure is in heaven. And then number one, there is only one soil that bears fruit. The sobering reality is that not all who profess faith in Christ will see Christ in glory. Uh, but the hopeful reality is that God has promised to save a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Earlier in our text, uh, Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 6, where the prophet is being commissioned by God to tell a rebellious people of God's plan to send a Messiah to save his people. 
Now, what's shocking about this commissioning is that before Isaiah has the chance to go and preach this message, the Lord tells him, the people that you're about to preach to, yeah, they're not going to listen. Isaiah, like Jesus, will preach, uh, but to a people who will hear, uh, but never understand. A people who will see, but never perceive. And after asking how long he should preach, the Lord responds, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. It's pretty sad. But as is always the case, the Lord does not leave his people without hope. He continues, and though a tent remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy city is its stump. Isaiah and Jesus had something in common. They both preached to a generation that wouldn't listen. Their blind eyes and hard hearts were evidence of God's judgment. And yet, a remnant would be saved. Friends, this tent, uh, this remnant, this holy seed, this stump left behind after the destruction of God's judgment on God's people is God's mercy. In the midst of judgment, God extends grace, proving his faithfulness. We see this faithfulness in Isaiah's day. We see this faithfulness in Jesus' day. And we continue to see the Lord's faithfulness in our day. Until his kingdom comes. Let's pray.